You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. Hey guys, hope that you're doing fantastic. We had an event here at the church on October 26th and 27th called Movement Experience. On both of those nights, uh, we had a workshop before the main sessions. And on Wednesday night, October 27th, we had Dustin Lehman, who is a counselor in town, who is absolutely incredible, who deals with mental health a lot. And we asked him to come in and teach a workshop on mental health because it is a very relevant topic, uh, no matter what you your age. So this is uh, some content that he taught. It was, it was largely junior hires and high schoolers who attended the event, but um, the, the content, the things that Dustin talked about are very, very applicable for each and every one of us. So would you listen in? I hope that you get a ton out of this. This is Dustin Lehman talking about mental health. What's up? What's up? Wow, that was awesome, Evan. Thank you, man. Right, it's like all girls over here, right? What's up with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, hey, I'm born and raised in Billings, Montana. Uh, you know, this is my home. I, I moved away to go to grad school to get my degree for, like, a couple of years, and I went to L.A. Have you, how many of you guys been to L.A.? <laughs> yeah, okay. How many from L.A.? You're from L.A.? Nice. Well, I went there, and I was like, I don't get to wear a jacket. I love the cold weather. You guys like the cold weather? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I like the <laughs> So, uh, so I, uh, I'm married, been married for about eight years. Uh, we got two kiddos, three and six. Love them to death. And so when it comes to mental health, I got, a, I got all sorts of different uh, uh, opportunities to learn more about that. My little guy, the, my little guy is three, uh, and he kills me, man. That kid is hilarious. He learns stuff all the time, teaches me stuff all the time. Um, and my daughter, who's six, she is all about, uh, she's all about being helpful. In my family, we say, we, the Lehmans, what we do is we love people and we help people, and they know that. So I love that I get to be up here, uh, and I hope that what I have to say was going to be helpful. Um, so let's, we're going to start off talking about habits. How many of you have habits? You're like, Dustin, that's a dumb question. Who has habits? Yeah, everyone has habits, right? Any weird ones? I have some weird ones. You guys have some weird ones? So I was talking to my wife about this. I was like, what kind of weird habits do you think I have? You know what she said? Well, she's really annoyed. She said, right now she goes, I love Christmas Hallmark movies. Christmas Hallmark movies. That's a thing, right? Yes. Right. Um, And I don't, in fact, don't like them. They're, uh, they're silly, in, in my opinion. So I've gotten in the habit of annoying my wife because I can basically predict every plot of every Hallmark movie there is. Is that surprising to you? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. So, you know, uh, I really don't like to do it, but I like to make fun of them. So, you know, lonely girl finds a tall, dark, handsome man that comes in right at the right moment, saves the day. Oh, <laughs> She gets so annoyed with that. But we all have habits. Now, there's all sorts of different habits, right? We have, we have good habits. We have bad habits. Why do we have them, right? Our brain, guys, is not, our brain is not in the business of wasting energy. You know what that means? It tries, our brain tries to make things super efficient. So, so often, I don't know if you guys come in here often in this room, but I bet you sit basically in the same place. Maybe not everyone, right? Maybe you take the same routes, Our brain is not in the business of wasting energy. In fact, did you know bad habits are efficient for your brain? Yeah, I bet you have those too. 
So like I said, there's all sorts of good habits. There's all sorts of bad habits. And we can look at Galatians 5. You guys remember that? Where the fruit of the, the, fruit of the spirit and the acts of the sinful nature. Who do you, you guys remember some of those? Some, shout out some of the, the fruits of the spirit. Say some of those, would you? I was hoping you guys didn't get the cheat sheet up there. You got them all? Love, joy. You got them all, right? The, so if you want to know what kind of good habits you need to have, that's a really good spot to start, right? What about the acts of the sinful nature? Do you guys know that one? Next slide. The acts of the sinful nature, right? Again, another perfect reference of what we should not do, right? Let me ask you this. In fact, you know, the, the idea is that, that good, uh, good and life-giving habits, the fruits of the Spirit, and destructive and isolating uh, habits, the acts of sinful nature, um, are, are essentially trying to work. They're in this contention. You guys know Romans 7. What I want to do, I don't do. What I should do, I don't. You know, that, that back and forth there. There's this tension, this war. It's inside of me, right? So if you were, you know, and if you were to think about, like, even our physical body, like our, we're, our body is constantly in a habit of healing. You know what that means? Like when you cut your finger, did you actually know that there's six steps that your body takes to heal? Six. Not seven. There's six. I, I read this a long time ago, and I was, like, geeking out over at 17th and, and Grand at the City Brew there. And... So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to geek out for a second here, okay? So, yeah, thumbs up. Cool. So, so uh, the six steps are rapid hemostasis, which just means I bleed, right? Then there's inflammation. Then there's this thing called proliferation and migration, which is essentially where all the good stuff comes to the wound to make it heal faster. And then there's another place, that's, or another thing is called angiogenesis, which is where we get new veins, right, when they're, they heal up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then there's a thing that's called the reepithelialization, which is like the new skin. And then the final bit, which is synthesis. What I love about this is that God's created a process of healing already, right? And so it's no different for us emotionally. I know each and every one of you has some kind of pain, some kind of wound, some kind of emotional bleed. Would you say that that's true? I know it's true for me. I'm a therapist. <laughs> I, get to, I get to look at my own wounds often. Yeah, cool. And there's an efficient sequence that God's already created for this, right? And so, I, you know, I often say to people, you know, psychology, right? It's offensive to the church so often, but psychology doesn't really have anything new. Psychology? Yeah, it's a study of the brain and the type of thinking, right? So, so psychology doesn't have anything new. In fact, it's really anything new if you think about psychologically. Uh, there's a really, it's easy to find a basis in that and biblically. So, so, I said, like I said, God has already created a really efficient process of healing. So, uh, and I, you know, I learned about this not that long ago. It seems like everyone else knows about this. But did you know when, you, when you're healing that you heal from the inside out? Yeah. Yeah, everybody knew that but me. <laughs> that's okay. But that's what's so beautiful about this is that not only that's true when we physically heal, but emotionally. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I want you guys to all answer this with one word. If I step on your toe and it hurt, what would you say? <laughs> yeah. Duh, Dustin. Yeah, I would say ow. That's what you would say, I mean. What would you then expect? One word. What would you expect that I would say? Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. What would you, what would you expect that I would say? Yeah. Yeah. You'd expect that I'd feel bad. Sorrow. 
right? And then what would you expect going forward? Try not to do it again. So this is the basic understanding or what we can do when it comes to conflict or hurt in relationships. Ow, sorrow, change. You with me? You would expect I wouldn't step on your foot? You would also be careful where you put your foot. Wouldn't you say that's true? This is, yes, it is. This is, where, this is where we establish habits in relationships. We learn when things are good and we learn when things are bad and we establish a pattern of behavior around those things, okay? Say, so got it, Dustin. Good, thank you. At least you're listening. That's good. Uh, so we have physical pain because there's physical violations. We have emotional pain because there's a violation of our identity. Now, what is identity? What do you guys think that that means? Somebody yell at something. Who you are, right? Now, we have sources of understanding or learning about who we are, right? Which is to say, like, God, ourselves, and others. In that order, become the sources of identity. But when we get those mixed up, like, when you're like, oh, but that girl, she's smoking, man. I know. You're looking for her to tell you how, uh, you know, good, how, like, amazing you are. You're open. She'll, she'll uh, say yes to the twerp or whatever or give you a snap or whatever. To the twerp. Yes, I'm old. The idea is when others become my primary source of pain, I mean of identity, when others, when others become the source in which I find a sense of truth, it never survives. It's not something that will sustain. I could ask you who in here has pain, but I already, as I already said, I know every one of you do. And I bet you, in fact, I think I'd like you guys to raise your hand if you know someone if you or you know someone who is suffering from depression, someone super close to you, raise your hand. Right, like, isn't that crazy? So, so what, about, what, about, what about anxiety? Yeah, and do you realize that, that I mean, you guys look around. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot. You realize that this is one of the more common issues that people complain about. Like, as a therapist, I see a lot of people come into my office, and this is often, often what people say is that depression, anger, anxiety become the primary focus of their pain, of their process in terms of what they're wanting to deal with. Yeah. Now, what would you say, guys, uh, is the purpose of anger? Well, I'll tell you. The purpose of anger is that every time you're angry, it tells you there's been something bad that's already happened. Okay? It's always about the past. Anxiety, the issue of anxiety, says something bad's about to happen every time. It's the warning, right? And depression is the immobility of the two. You get stuck. You don't have hope for the future. And you're not able to reconcile or deal with the things that have already happened. Does that make sense? So what's great about this, and, and, and just knowing this, right, is that, is that we have also the thing is about, I should say, the thing is about anger, depression, and anxiety is that, you know what, they're second emotions. They don't always feel like that. When you're super depressed and you feel like nobody even knows that you exist, you have zero interest in doing anything, you have no joy or satisfaction with the things you would normally do, right? It's really hard to see that as a second emotion, but it is. And in fact, we know it is because when you're angry, when you're anxious, are you scratching your head trying to figure out what it is? Nope. In fact, you, you, to do the hard work, as Paul says, in your anger, don't sin, dot, 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 put your own hands to work, right? It's, it's very difficult because, you know, like if I kicked you in the knee, you're not going to wonder what's hurting. You know exactly what's hurting. But emotionally, it's different. 
I hear so often when somebody comes into my office and they say, well, my dad says that I can't do it, that I'm worthless. My uncle said, I have to do this. My brother said, right, is that this, this understanding of my pain doesn't come right to who I am, which is where pain comes from, but to the thing outside. And so the, the benefit of understanding that those three things, anger, depression, anxiety, are a second emotion, helps me to get to what is really the first emotion. So emotional healing, guys. I, you know, I find this really interesting. In terms of, the, in terms of like that six steps of the wound healing deal, is that one of the things that I get to do for people, and I'm hoping that I can help with this a little bit tonight, is that when I have a personal kind of wounded feeling, is that have, so like for example, it's super easy for me to feel disrespected. Anybody else like that? Yeah. That's an easy feeling for us. It's one of my common ones. But you know what? The only reason I can have that feeling is because I am first respectable. Has to be true. I can't have pain if something's not... Pain validates connection. Does that make sense? So the, the, the benefit of this is what I'm saying is that if I have something painful, I have, a, I have a first emotion, like I can take it to this place of understanding who I am. Now, this is also a benefit when we go to understanding uh, the idea of these second emotions as like swollen emotions. You guys ever like jammed your finger? Twisted your ankle? What happens? It swells up. Right? But the thing is that the swelling isn't the problem. It tells you there's a problem, right? Swollen emotion tells you there's a problem. So what follows that, right, is the all the good. You think about biblically speaking, when when there's a reference to pain, when there's a reference to pain, what's the outcome? When we know, you know this Romans, what is it, Romans five? And we know that suffering produces Perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And it says, and hope does not disappoint. The idea of my pain, suffering, is meant to be productive. Pain is supposed to help us understand something greater, particularly about ourselves. Yeah. So, um, you know, we need to create habits specifically of emotional healing. And it's easier to say than it is to do. Like, I mean, I realize, like, you know, in your world, when you have a teacher that assigns just stacks of homework and gives you zero, like, freedom to, like, figure it out. Yeah. I get to hear about that all day. With students, I hear about that a lot. Certain teachers, too. But we have to create a habit of emotional healing. So, so what that looks like, man, I, you know, I think about in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus shows it, rolls into uh, ask, ask God, he's like, if there's any other way for this cup to pass, right? And it says, yet yeah, not my will, but yours. He's going to attach to something outside of his feeling, right? It's a beautiful thing. So how do we change habits? Well, it really begins with an awareness of the different influences in our life. So socially, environmentally, spiritually speaking, all of the things, right? Did you know that we're built for unity? Yeah, you know, I... Um, you know that phrase, I'm sure you guys hear it all the time, do not be unequally yoked. Again, this idea scientifically, it's called synchronization. Do not be unequally yoked is a very much of the same thing. Is it when I, can, when I get next to somebody, if I spend a lot of time 
or the radio station that I listen to, what happens is I start having that rattling in my head whenever they say, however they act. So, so it's really interesting on that. So what I, I guess what I get, uh, well, actually, let me tell you a quick story about this too. There was these, there was these two ladies one time, it sounds like a joke, but it's not. I was, I was, I, I was at a crosswalk or uh, at a stoplight and these two ladies were crossing the road. And you guys probably have seen this before where they, they, I mean, their stride, their steps, their arms, their bounce, everything was like perfectly timed. Have you guys seen that happen before? And I thought to myself, those guys, those ladies did not mean to do that. We're built for unity. So what I want you guys to do right now is I want you to turn to the person on either side. You're not going to say anything. You're just going to look at each other. One of you, you got to decide what. But I want you to, one of you, I want you to smile super, super big. And the other person, the other person, I want you to be really sad. Work really hard. Make a really sad face. It's going to be really hard. But try, try, try. It's really difficult, right? Right, okay, okay. Come back. Good job. Good job, good job. Isn't that, the mo- isn't it super awkward? Isn't it really difficult, right? Because here's the thing. We, we literally have like this thing in our brain. Okay, come, ra- come back, guys, come back. We literally have this thing in our brain that tells us to mirror. They're called mirror neurons. It tells us to mirror. So when somebody's being angry, do you feel happy? Mm-mm. This is why I'm saying being aware of, being aware of our influences, right, helps us to have a better system of habits. So change happens when we discover the good habits, right? Change happens when we discover the good habits. So there's a couple of things. There's this thing I call the greatest motivator. So if you were starving and you didn't have immediate access to food or like the money to just go get it, what would you do? Well, you probably wouldn't just sit around and like say, ah, shucks, I guess this is it, right? No, you would go figure something out, right? You'd go ask for help, you'd go find something. You wouldn't just sit around. And that's the idea is that need is the greatest motivator. If you want to find a way to change something, you got to figure out what it is you need. Now, the, the way that I define a need, this is kind of nerdy and this is what I do, is that need says something will cease to exist. You cease to exist if you don't eat or drink, right? Something ceases to exist unless you fulfill the need. Does that make sense? Like I have to eat or drink, otherwise I don't exist. Those are needs. But if all you ever do is meet your needs and nothing more, what's the outcome of that? Frailty. Like if you, if you, you know, frailty. You're not going to thrive. We don't stop at just eating one bite of dinner, one bite of lunch. We don't. We carry it into excess. But need is the greatest motivator. But also, as you see up there, right, is that what follows need is desire. Desire is the strongest fulfiller. I'll give you a really quick example. So my little guy, three-year-old, man, that kid's cool. He, he um, one day after I got done uh, working, I came home, and I didn't want to think anymore. I was like, I'm done thinking. I'm done talking. I just want to sit still. And he's like, Dad, check this out. So we're sitting there, and I'm like, cool, bud. Way to go. And he goes, let's go play baseball. So I was like, I don't want to play baseball. But we go outside, and we set up the bases, and, we play, and my, I bring my daughter with us, and I teach him, like, 
ghost runners, right? Oh, come here, buddy. You got to hit. There's a guy out second. And it was so much fun. But it wasn't necessary. What was necessary is that I was available for him, that I was present for him, that allowed for the fulfillment of desire into this place of baseball. And it was, he's killing it. That kid's going to be a star. Does that make sense? Needs have to be met before we can meet desire. But if all you ever do is meet need, frailty is the outcome. If all you ever do is meet desire, what's the outcome of that? Like, I'll give you an example. A lot of you or kids like you have come into my office and you talk about pornography. <sighs> right? What If all I ever do is pursue desire, what is the outcome? Well... Addiction oftentimes is the outcome. And what's the end of addiction? Death, metaphorically or literally, or rock bottom. You guys have heard of that before? What's at rock bottom? Nothing but need, right? So it cycles right back over again. Now, here's the thought with this, and I hope I haven't lost you guys, is that hope is the pivot of both of those. If you think about a pendulum, right, that if I fulfill my needs into the place of desire, if I know what I hope for, it makes it a lot easier to understand those, those two there. Make sense, guys? Got it, Austin? Thank you. <laughs> so change, guys, is maintained with movement or healthy circulation. So, like, I love the, the fact that this is called movement. I love the fact this is called. If you think back about my nerdy reference to healing, right, angiogenesis, when you have a new vein that's built so that you can have normal flow, that's where healing continues, right? Movement, and, I, and, I, and I'm sure there's lots, lots more to this. Movement is necessary to maintain healing. When we get stuck in inflammation, healing stops. In fact, that's scientific too. Scientific, right? If you get stuck and, you're, and you stay swollen, I asked this neurosurgeon one time, what's it like? To, to do surgery on someone whose brain is swollen, and they say, it is very, very difficult and oftentimes impossible, right? So what we have to do, right, when we're anxious, when we're angry, when we're depressed, is we have to continue moving. Circulation is necessary. Movement is necessary. And when we don't connect our pain to what's been hurt, we stay swollen. We don't change when we're comfortable, or when we defend or justify staying the same. You feel, I want you guys to hear this. I want you to remember this, as I'm, I say it all the time, and I tell myself this too, is you feel what you focus on. You feel what you focus on. And I think why that's so important, right? You think about what, is, what does it say even? It says, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why should we, why should we renew our mind? Because it helps us to stay focused on doing something healthy to promote change and to make ourselves grow. The other thought is when you try to control the future or someone else's reality, the future is not ours, right? It is not ours to author or determine. You know, I, I can't tell you how many parents I talk to, and they're like, I want, you to, I want you to meet with my student because, you know, they just lie all the time. You guys never lie, right? They just lie all the time. And you know what? I hear that. And you know what I, what I, what I oftentimes come back to is there's a purpose to your lying and deceitfulness when you, I'd mind to, right? We'll get to that in just a sec. 
So if you think of, I'm going to, I'm going to, re, I'm going to uh, talk about, you guys know Peter's denial and Jesus predicts Peter's denial. I was reading this a few months ago and I was just like, wow, this is really interesting. I never thought about this before. So Jesus says, you know what? He goes, Peter, you're going to not deny me. And Peter says, no, I won't. I'll never deny you. Never, right? He says, he says, yeah. By the time the rooster crows, you'll do it three times. And Jesus, and Peter goes, even if I have to die with you, I picture this guy, even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. <laughs> okay, Peter. So, so then, and then it switches after that in Matthew 26. It switches to Jesus in the garden, like I was talking about before. It says, and it says, Jesus, who can define the future? He says, it says, you know, I, as Jesus goes, if there's any other way for this cup to pass, let it be so, yet not my will, but yours. And then it goes back to Peter, who then actively denies Jesus, right? So there's three parts in this. Peter's telling God how the future's gonna be. Whoops. Now what lying is? I'm gonna create a different reality for you. Oh, no, I don't have any homework. Oh, I'm gonna go over to this friend's house. You wanna see my phone? Delete, delete, delete. Yeah, that's all it is. Anybody did that before? Yeah. No. Right? So Peter was lacking humility, right, in this first section. Then it goes to Jesus, who has the ability to say, this is how the future is going to be. Like, like God's the only, this might be offensive, but I don't mean it to be. God's the only successful liar. <laughs> he could say, hey, there's a tree. Poof, there it is. Success. It's not a lie, right? But I can't do that. But, you know, I could try. But I can't take over God's job, Right? So, so Jesus could do that, and he says, yet not my will. He, he maintains humility. And then back to Peter, who still denies, and guess what? He's then forced into humility. So when I get focused, when I lie or get focused on the future or fighting the future or whatever it is, right, what ends up happening is if I don't stay in the reality, I get forced into humility, which is humiliation. What do you guys think? I mean, is that, does that make sense? I just thought, man, I just love this. It's like humility is such a critical thing. Now, now anxiety is not any different, right? Like I said, anxiety is the anticipation of the future. What am I doing? I'm trying to prepare or control what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. The other thought is hope is hidden when we attempt to, do, to, do, uh, to, to, to control the future. Hope is hidden, Right? So lying or anxiety. Now, there is a, a bit of uh, hope here, right? The restoration, as I was saying before, you know, and we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, the other ones that I love, too, um, you know, one of, my, one of my big, it was monumental for me, but it, the first Peter 5.10, it says, and, and the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory, after you have suffered a little while, will himself make you strong, firm, will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast, right? So when there's pain, there's a reference to identity. When there's suffering, there's hope. Now, I, um, I want to tell you guys a quick story. So when my daughter, who's now six, when she was in my wife's belly, every night... I would lean over and I'd say, her name's Addie. 
And I would say to her in my, in my wife's belly, I'd go, Addy, Addy, Addy. Addy, Addy, Addy. And sometimes she would like push and we'd play back and forth and push back and forth. It was really fun. Trying to connect with a baby that I hadn't even seen. Well, when she was born, the, do- or the nurses say, Dustin, come here. Or dad, come here. Come here. So I went over there and she's crying. You know, she's upset. She's cold and getting attacked. <laughs> and so I leaned over and I said, Addy, Addy, Addy. And she stopped crying, just stopped. Turned at me, looked right at me, and it was the most amazing moment. Amazing. So wherever you are, whatever you're new, scary, painful, difficult situations are, listen for your name. God's still calling you in a very similar way. He's calling you over and over and over. You're not here by accident. You guys have pain as we've already discussed. Hear him through every bit of it. Let him be your recovery, your peace, your restoration. In your anger, let him be soothing to you. In your depression, let him be your comfort. In your anxiety, let him be your truth, your reality. He's calling. He's calling. Listen for him. I want you guys to, I want you guys to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine whatever it is that you're struggling with. The secrets whatever great pain, loneliness, rejection, depression, anxiety. I want you to imagine that. I want you to get a picture of what that looks like. How do you look in that picture right now? I want you to get that. I want you to feel it. Now I want you to imagine Jesus leaning in, over and over saying your name again and again. He's waiting. You can turn to him. Don't you look back up at me. As much as, as, much as I can, I, I want to encourage you to move in all of the pain. I want you to move. Find people who encourage life and don't take away, who encourage the best part of your character, who will show you, like when I, I went to an event like, like this 20 some years ago, changed my life forever. I got a spiritual mentor out of that gig, some old guy. He taught me a lot of stuff. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for him. This is what I'm saying. Find somebody who can encourage you forward, who will share space with you to give you the opportunity to bleed to this place of health and healing. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. 
If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.